Purdue's Customer Experience Podcast. Delivering great customer experience every time is really, really hard. If it was easy, more companies would be doing it. We all know that ain't happening. That's exactly where this show comes in. Every episode, we take a close look at companies who are getting customer experience right. Whether it's over the phone, over technology such as social media or apps on your smartphone, or in person, there are some companies who are just really good at this. This show looks at what they're doing differently to make their customers love them and introduces us to the people whose job it is to make great customer experience happen. So if delivering exceptional customer experience is part of your business, this is the podcast for you. I'm Pat Perdue, and I'm glad you found us. Hey, it's great that you're here. Thank you for joining another episode of Pat Perdue's Customer Experience Podcast. I'm, of course, Pat Perdue, and I'm really excited to share with you my conversation with today's guest, Gene Bliss. I've known Gene for years, and throughout that time, Gene has been an inspiration to me and anyone else working in the customer experience field. It's not a stretch to say that if you've ever encountered a company who made you say, aw, I love them, <laughs> there's a chance that that moment of joy was inspired by or even made possible by Gene Bliss. In our interview, we talk about what Gene calls the five competencies to build a customer-driven growth engine. While we don't articulate each of the competencies by name, you can see a complete list in the show notes. This is a conversation packed with usable insights, which I think you'll want to listen to more than once and maybe even share with your team. Thanks again for spending this time with us. Stay tuned for the formal intro and then my conversation with the wonderful Gene Bliss. Gene Bliss pioneered the role of Chief Customer Officer, holding the first ever CCO role for over 20 years at Land's End, Microsoft, Caldwell Banker, and Allstate Corporations. Reporting to each company's CEO, she moved the customer to the strategic agenda, creating transformational changes to each brand's customer experience. She has driven achievement of 95% loyalty rates, improving customer experiences across 50,000-person organizations. She is now the president of Customer Bliss, where she guides the C-suite and chief customer officers around the world on earning business growth by improving customers' lives. Her clients include AAA, Johnson & Johnson, Brooks Brothers, Bombardier Aerospace, and Kaiser Permanente. She is a sought-after speaker and thought leader and author of three best-selling books, I Love You More Than My Dog, Chief Customer Officer, and the newly released Chief Customer Officer 2.0. Jean is co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association and is also host of her own customer experience podcast, The Human Duct Tape Show. Jean, welcome to our show. Thanks, Pat. You know I love you, and it's so great to be with you. <laughs> oh, you're the best. And, you know, I have to tell you that I've given away more copies of your book, I Love You More Than My Dog. <laughs> it's just the best example that I can find of case study after case study of companies who make it their mission to delight their customers. Well, thank you. I'm actually working on a new book, which is like the dog book, uh -huh. but starting with the inverse and teaching people how to flip it. And that's the challenge, right? And it's yep. something that I'm hoping to touch on in our conversation today, which is, let's say you're, you know, you're tasked with driving the customer experience and how do you make that transformation within your own company, right? So hard. Well, or within your own phone call, right? You're the memory maker. You can choose when you're on the phone with the customer 
Yep. To give him a good memory or just be a rule maker. Yep. Nice. Nice. So, um, so you have a, speaking of books, you have your book out, <laughs> Chief Customer Officer 2.0. Let's right. talk about that for a moment if we could. Sure. What struck me the most about that book is how it starts from the why, which is improve the lives of your customer. Why did you choose to start from there? Because at the end of the day, that's what we need to earn. You know, everybody, Pat, this word loyalty has become, I think, inadvertently abused as something we want to go get from customers. You know, all of the great analytics exist to understand, gosh, if a customer has more than one line of business, they're more loyal. So we put all our eggs in the basket of prospecting and upselling and cross-selling rather than Mm -hmm. earning the right to grow. It's nuts. Yeah, it is nuts, right? And you also speak to a very specific framework of what senior executives can specifically do to improve their customer experience rather than just, you know, be better to your customers. You provide an actionable methodology. I do. You know, this is my book. I call it the pay it forward book because when my first chief customer officer book came out, and that was in 2006, which is a little Mm -hmm. bit nuts to think about, (laughs) it was, it was as much a rant, right? Because I had just come out of 25 years of doing this work and I wanted people to know you have, you have a a sister and Jean and we do this work together and we push this rock up the hill. Mm -hmm. And then over the past 12 to 14 years of working with these leaders, in addition to my work as a practitioner, this five competency framework has emerged. And so I am into the fearless giving, the not being afraid to give my methodology camp. Mm -hmm. And that is really what this book is. It's a complete roadmap on how to drive that transformation. Yep. You do mention five specific competencies. Why are these competencies important to have? Let's say a company, you know, they might use, they might say, you know, we survey our customers, they seem to like us. So why isn't that good enough? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing surveys, but part of what these five competencies do, it kind of goes back to the why, is they connect to tell the story of customers' lives, yep. to move the work from spreadsheets and from, um, you know, red, yellow, and green dots of project movement to mm-hmm. customer life improvement. And the greatest companies, Pat, you already know this, of course, because you live this, is <laughs> those companies imagine customers in their lives. They are emotionally involved. They get upset when they know customers' lives are interrupted. And what this does is gives you a vehicle, especially in companies where that doesn't come naturally, to to tell that story. And that's what changes everything. Sure, sure. And of the competencies that you list, and you're really generous with them, you know, they're on your website. You know, you don't say you have to buy the book to know what the competencies are. Is one competency more tricky than another competency for a company to master? Well, you know, the the number one and number five, I think of as the anchor competencies because they are really interesting. For a lot of people, customer experience is still a little fluffy, and that's why as I work with leaders, especially those CFOs and CEOs around the world, customers as assets gives them a very simple understanding of what success is. As your total company, did you or did you not earn the right to growth? And we Mm -hmm. find that simplifying that is very, very powerful and galvanizing. The other side of it is the fifth competency, not because it's last, but that because it's, I call it, Pat, the prove it to me competency, Meaning what are the behaviors that leaders have to exhibit to prove that this work is real? 
to enable the rest of the competencies to live, to get out of the way of employees and get rid of the roadblocks you know, mm-hmm. that are preventing them from delivering value. Yeah, absolutely. And on the other side of that coin, what are some of the competencies that, and you do work with companies and executives from around the world, there may be some competencies that, that they say, you know, Gene, we've got this one. You know, we're, we're good here. We just want to focus on competency two or three or something like that, which, you know, do you ever find that on closer examination, they realize that it may be not as rosy as they thought it was? Well, you know, a lot of things happening in this space are shiny objects a little okay. bit. Yeah. One, for example, you mentioned it earlier, surveys. I'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But this whole notion of journey mapping, right? Everybody's journey mapping. And I, <laughs> like, Stop. We've got Visio blind, Visio binders of Visio maps around the world giving people Visio blindness. We do. And that's not the point of journey mapping for me. And that's my competency too. Just rename the stages of your journey from what the customer's trying to accomplish and stop there. Get leaders to change how they drive accountability from the CEO silo report out to what's the new customer experience? What's the onboarding experience? Mm-hmm. And so what happens, Pat, is very well-intended people, very hardworking people execute on the tactic, let's say, of a journey mapping Saturday, a journey mapping workshop, mm-hmm. but they don't change culture. They don't change leadership behavior and they don't change accountability. So it's a great day with a bunch of post-it notes. And in their mind, they say, well, we've done journey mapping, but they haven't done the transformational part of it, which is to change how leaders reframe the business and change how they drive accountability. Really interesting point. And that touches on something that I was thinking as I was looking through your notes and your website and your book is each brand's best customer experience is going to be different, even from their closest competitor. So how do you, and this touches on to journey mapping as well, right? How do you help companies (laughs) uncover what their best customer experience is? They can't all say they want to be Zappos or they can't all say they want to be Land's End. Well, and, and that's really the point. I, you know, a lot of people, Zappos is a wonderful company. They, what Tony and that team has done is fantastic, yes. but you need to come up with your own version of who you are and what you value. And it, it's not something etched on the crystal ball. We love customers. And that's why competency two becomes the framework. So by stage of the journey, one of the first things that we do, Pat, I know, I know you're, you're, you're going to be a lover of this is we build a code of conduct, which is what must we always do to customers to honor them by stage? And what will we never do to dishonor them? Mm-hmm. What must we always do to enable employees to deliver value? And what will we never do to get in their way? And by grounding that by stage of the journey, it's not this cultural, umbrella statement, but very operational, rele- operationally relevant and very achievable as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so the, the whole achievement side and the achievability, let's say I'm an executive, I'm a VP of customer experience mm-hmm. and my role has sort of morphed into going from silo to silo, mm-hmm. putting out fires. Yes. You become the but Velcro I'm, man. I, yes, <laughs> I have, hopefully nothing sticks to me, right? Yep. So you know, I really want to take the reins of my company's customer experience and really make a difference. Yep. What are, what are some things I can do first? Well, and, and I do, like you said, I fearlessly share this approach. One, what we do with the greatest success is that you really need to move the customer experience leader, you know, whoever they are, 
yep. from the beggar to, you know, which is please listen to the survey score. Please come to my meeting. Please give me a person to work on this to instead linking arms. This person needs to be a peer with the leadership team to mm-hmm. link arms with them to build out the five competencies. And what we actually do is we assign two C-suite members to each of the five and then build a small team with them for each of the five based on the skills required for each of the five competencies. Mm-hmm. And they have their skin in the game in building these five out. And we march our way over four to six months to their first customer room, which is one of the practices that I really advocate. And when you do this, they are now building with you. They recognize more clearly that your job is to build the engine that unites the leadership team. So there's a common way upon which we understand, upon which we improve, upon which we innovate and upon which we focus because other, should I stop there? Does that make sense, nope. Pat? No, you're doing great. Keep going. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to be too long-winded without giving you a chance to jump in. No, no, not at all. Um, so the notion here is otherwise you've got a company who feels they're being customer-focused by doing mm-hmm. surveys or having a great social person present the analysis of the social media Stuff, um, stuff. That's a very technical term. Well, uh, but each silo then. There's, there's different ways to say that. Yeah. Well, it's okay. I like stuff. Each silo then interprets their actions through the lens of their silo. And mm-hmm. that is one of the biggest culprits of this work kind of imploding on itself is that we've got lots of different projects often at cross purposes going off attacking the same problem. Sure. Sure. And you did touch on earlier, um, the surveys yep. sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I may have lots of surveys that say my customers are really happy with what's going on. Why should I treat that as suspect? Well, again, not suspect, but mm-hmm. let me walk you through how the competencies line up together to tell you a, what I call a balanced story. Okay. Starting with the growth or loss of your customer base. And this is competency one. As a result of the experience we delivered in this past month or quarter or year before annual planning, did we earn the right to growth? We brought in 50,000 new customers with a baseline value of this, but we lost 45,000 customers with this value that they we've earned over this period of time. Mm-hmm. Let's now traverse the stages of the journey, that's competency two, to understand why and to walk through the life of the customer. In stage three, what we know is if we can converge multiple sources of information, all pointing at similar things with very kind of granular information, it gets the emotional response and drives action. So for example, we might start by talking about the volunteer or feed or unaided feedback. Here's our social media spiking for this stage. And that's the key also, as we start to organize by stage versus survey question. So again, we're framing the life of the customer. What are our complaints that came in from the call center or other parts of the organization that take claims? And again, this requires the organization to categorize these separately so they roll up. What are the verbatims from our survey results? Mm-hmm. And finally, our survey score has validated this because of our performance. And also we, we, and, and we blend that with experiential listening, which is here is the screenshot. Here is the document. 
Um, frequently what we'll do is if we know we're going to focus on a certain area, we'll send the leadership team out to go try that before the meeting. Downloading, for example, an, a, a test drive or a, a, a beta version of something we're getting a lot of complaints on. We want you all to try this before mm-hmm. you come to the meeting. So the humanness of trying it yourself becomes the f- click, right? That will tee them off over the edge blended with the human information and the analytical information. Now we've got a perfect little balanced story. And what I really like about that is, is that it does provide a way for executives to say, here's the evidence, here's the proof of the difference that we're making. That's right. And the other thing that's powerful about that, Pat, is what we do in the customer room is we actually physically will, you know, and butcher paper is fine. I'm not a big advocate of going out and spending a lot of money initially on this, especially by stage of the journey, you simply tell a story. You show the spike of the complaints. You show the screenshots or the material that's causing it. You show the survey verbatims. Um, and then you, you might show the touch points that comprise that stage and you circle that item. Mm-hmm. And then as you take the leaders through, you know, let's say you've got five stages, you've circled 10 things. In the old way, each leader would have gone out, pick one of those and started working on a portion of one of those. In this, we now say, okay, here's 10 things. We can work on two. Which are the two that are most important? And as a team, we all need to pony up resources from our teams to work on this as an, in a, to build a complete solution. Are we all in? And that changes everything and it moves that customer experience person from your explanation earlier, Pat, which is that whole beggar mode, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And how is that reflected in the end result of the customer journey? How do organizations know that they're on the right path or that they're making a difference? Well, the first thing that's going to happen, and you can't game this, is your complaints are going to start going down for the things that you're really resolving. You know, customers call when they're in trouble, when they are having difficulty, when they're frustrated, when they're angry, and that costs you money. And so one of the first things is we're going to note that that call volume or those call incidences go down. And that's the reason why one of the first things we actually do is say, what are the listening pipes, I call them pipes, Mm -hmm. where customers give you a lot of feedback, pick the top two where you get enough volume, you don't have to build a system for every single one. And simply make sure the categorization and the collection is common so it rolls up and you get the volume versus, you know, everybody's been to these meetings where some great person is reading letters from customers. Well, you know, I call those the bleeding heart letters mm-hmm. because they don't have enough volume to really get people, galvanize people to go do something. Sure, sure. It's not a wide enough so, sample. That's right. But the other thing that you need to look at is what I call competency four, which is your actual operational performance. So if you know a touch point or a part of the experience is critical to the customer, your operational performance in that needs to be looked at and trended and cared about with as much rigor as you act ask about sales. And so it connects to the rest of that story when we say our complaints are spiking. Well, no wonder our operational cycle time on this is down 40% from where the standard should be. And these days, there's a lot of technology around helping drive 
an excellent customer experience. Does your system use technology, maybe perhaps voice analytics or speech analytics to help with this? Or is it mostly the management approach to the customer experience? No, most of my clients are using their data mm-hmm. as well as their customer behavior to indicate what's happening. In fact, customers as assets is not just looking at the new and lost customers, but also a couple indications of, of customer behavior. So after a key part of your experience, did a percentage of your customers leave or stop? Um, if you have your customer base segmented, are any of your top customers moving to a lower tier so that we are actually looking at the behavior in real time? Mm-hmm. You know, if you've sold $50 million to a soft, as a software as a service and only 20% of that's being downloaded, we can immediately understand that there's an erosion of value occurring inside of the business. And so the key is again to create a blended and balanced story of all of that information versus what happens today, Pat, is there's a presentation on big data and people go off and do something. There's a <laughs> presentation on social media and off we go. Yep. One of the leaders is in a field and they do a route ride around and that squeaky wheel issue becomes what we work on. And we're, you know, we're doing annual plans based on this single dimension of feedback many times. Mm-hmm. And that's why bringing together these multiple forms really does give you more perspective. Totally makes sense. And do you find in terms of the inputs, do you ever find that there are inputs that companies tend to overlook that help reflect the authentic customer experience? Like let's say social media. Well, one of the things that we we do, a lot of organizations are starting to do this, is this notion of co-creating with the customer, meaning that, you know, when companies do a a touch point map, they're going to frequently at the beginning of it, inventory their processes and call them the touch points. And those aren't really the customer's touch points. And so we'll, we use a series of, of things with magnetic boards and we ask customers to tell us what they need and what they're feeling by stage of the journey. And when we do that, that gives us those opportunities to be deliberate about moments that we didn't even know we needed to be deliberate about. Fascinating. Really, really interesting Mm -hmm. point. If I'm a junior or a mid-range executive, maybe I work in a contact center or I work in an environment that is customer facing and I want to begin to I want to begin to drive this conversation. What guidance might you have for for me? You know, this notion of starting with customers' lives, I think is really, really important. The the idea of knowing which part of the experience and which memories you have the opportunity to impact becomes really critical so that as a leader of an operating area, you can guide people toward that, but also give them perspective about how your piece connects to the whole journey for the customer. What happens is operating areas are very good. You know, everybody comes to work every day doing their best work, but it's the myopic nature of staying in the lane of the silo that does a couple things. It's a little demotivating to people because they're executing tasks versus being connected to something greater. And 
it disconnects for the customer because they expect you to understand and connect to the rest of the experience they're having. And let's talk a little bit about the role of the very senior leadership within an organization, the C-suite, the CEO, or the or the CMO, mm-hmm. or whoever's going to be charged with this, or even the, the chief customer officer. What role can the CEO play in turning this ship around? Is it something that they can you know, do they really need to take an active role or is it something that they can delegate to to their VP team? You know, people will emulate the behavior of the leadership team. Mm-hmm. And I believe very strongly that how a CEO asks for accountability, do they ask first about customers' lives or is it is it just about outcomes? Are they holding people accountable? Are they holding people accountable to the entire customer journey and requiring that leaders, there's the rest of their C-suite, we collaborate with each other. Have they been very deliberate in understanding the critical focused moments? Or are they a leader that takes every silo presentation as it is and doesn't press to understand or require connection to the rest of the organization? What we're, what mm-hmm. we're seeing, Pat, is the best CEOs are now really a uniter. And if you have a CCO or a CMO Mm -hmm. who's taking on the CX role, they help to expand that uniting. Um, but without it, you're, you're delivering a defaulted experience to the customer, which is the outcome of every silo doing work, but doing good work separately. And, you know, this is something that you've been doing for a while. You've been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Even before it was called customer experience, you were, you were leading the charge of customer experience. What has, what has changed or has, has anything really changed? You know, there's been technology and there's been lots of shiny objects that have come and gone (laughs) in all that time. Have the fundamentals remained the fundamentals or is, has there been a shift that you've seen? Well, there's three forcing functions that that I kind of call upon to have made this work finally become understood, accepted, and valued. But we were doing this work in 1984. You know, I think you and I have talked about this. We mapped the touch points at Land's End. And when mm-hmm. a million years ago, when we went public, I actually, a 27-year-old version of me presented the, t- the key touch points to the financial analysts and why they connected to growth. They were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, did they get it? Well, they, they, I mean, I had things Velcroed to the wall. I mean, it was hilarious. <laughs> I, I think they did get it because Gary, our founder and, and others really, we were all making the same points, but it, it was, it's been going on for a long time, but people really accepting it as a growth strategy hasn't. And three things have happened. Um, number one is, through the last two, at least, financial downturns, and I would say especially in the last one that we saw in the unfortunate incidences of 2008 and, and the few years that came after that, mm-hmm. leaders are finally, finally, finally accepting that organic growth from your existing customer base is more profitable and more long-lasting than simply throwing more money at acquisition. Mm-hmm. Not that acquisition doesn't have its rightful place, but a growth strategy does exist in earning the right to keep your existing customers around. The second part of that is the power of social media, a forcing function I'm so in love with. And this is that, you know, you can run, but you can't hide. It used to be that our branding and who we said we were played a lot to how customers made their buying decisions. And now we know 
almost 80% of somebody's buying decision in both B2B and in B2C Mm-hmm. is based on social media, but also asking other people. And they, they ask three things, Pat. They ask, did you do what you said you were going to do, right? Were you reliable? Did you improve my life? You know, did you really do it in a way that was better for me? Or is it always about your way or the highway? And how did I feel? Even in business to business, there are a lot of emotions that have to do with did you get me the right sample? Did you cost me more money? Do I now have to explain why this thing you promised didn't work? And those three things are very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The third thing is about the silos. And that is that leaders, CEOs, whoever are finally are realizing that after all these years of saying the words, go be customer focused etching things on crystal balls, writing passionate emails, proclaiming your focus (laughs) on customers, that at the end of the day, it's because of how we're organized and because of how people are rewarded that we inadvertently get in the way of that and that the silos will not organically unite and that for a period of time, Inside of our organizations, we simply need someone to help us rework how we work together. Got it. Got it. And touching on, and we're getting toward the end of our interview, but thank you so much for for your generosity of time and your generosity of insight. Something that we touched on in the very start of our conversation, which is the challenge of flipping that company, where... I might start off where my company isn't customer-centric, but I have to make that change so it's culturally very embedded cultural distinctions across silos. What are some, what might be an easy thing, make me the first thing other than calling you, (laughs) um, what might be the the first thing that I should do as a a CEO to, to begin to break down the walls of those silos? I think there's three easy things I'd suggest. One, do customer math, which is customers as assets. Mm -hmm. Get people together who know your data because a lot of times this isn't rolled up and know how many new customers did you bring in and how many did you lose and use whole numbers. It will be startling. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference between whole numbers versus percentages or averages? A percentage, a retention rate will give you a false positive. Let's say you're at 70%, but that doesn't get you to know that that 70% equals 30,000 people who chose to leave you. Right. And, and I'm, I'm Italian, Pat, and there's this word agita, which means sick in the belly. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make people sick in the belly. Well, he, that needs- hearing the message that 30,000 people have chose to shop, have chosen to shop somewhere else, that would give somebody agita. That's right. And you know, some you want to leave, of course, but the core of that 30,000 are people you probably didn't want to lose. Mm-hmm. The other thing is simply recraft the framework of why you do what you do based on the customer's life so that you're not silo driving all the time and change your language of accountability by stage of the journey. And then the third thing is be brave and start a kill a stupid rule movement in your company. (laughs) (laughs) So what does that mean to kill a stupid rule? Do you find that there's lots and I I, I know the answer to this, but there's so many companies have rules that are counter to the customer experience, right? Well, they made sense at mm-hmm. one point, perhaps, or there's some really well-intended person in the in the middle of an operating area somewhere who created a lot of rules so they could manage their process, but they're forcing customers to call you more 
because they hate the, what they pen them into, or they're forcing your front line to do workarounds and be exhausted and not feel like it's a, a great company to work mm-hmm, for. Mm-hmm. And so this is a notion of saying to your employees and it frees them, tell us where you're hitting the walls and tell us the rules that's driving you crazy because it, it, you know, it really does get in the way. And then again, using your journey framework, because I'm a big broken record around that, <laughs> you can start to identify them. And then you've got to also get rid of some of them, kibosh them, and then tell people. You know what I call that tell people part, mm. Pat? That was a three part, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I call it, I call it marketing hope. You need to market hope that you're doing something about it, that you're changing how you lead. And you need to give people behaviors to model. Love it. Marketing hope. How would you like folks to remember this podcast by in your message? You know, I think it's grow your business by improving customers' lives and enable people to deliver value. And then finally, market hope. Gene, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. And to those listening, you can find out more about Gene as well as Customer Bliss by going to www.customerbliss.com or check out our show notes which has links to Gene's website, Twitter account, and includes an overview of the five competencies. Don't forget to pick up a copy of Chief Customer Officer 2.0, 100% recommended. And thank you for listening. Hopefully you found some insights you can apply to your customer experience initiative. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter. This has been Pat Perdue's Customer Experience Podcast, and I'm, well, (laughs) you know who I am. Have an awesome day, and make someone's experience great.